0: The Spin-Off Podcast Network
1: Kia ora, I'm Jane Yee and welcome to This is Kiwi, a podcast series brought to you by Kiwi Bank and The Spin-Off Podcast Network. In this series, I'll meet with incredible New Zealanders who've achieved remarkable things, uncovering what makes them tick and the influences that have helped to shape their ideas. Most importantly, This Is Kiwi will bring you knowledge for better. The incredible power of determination, passion, and self-belief that we can all learn from and apply to our own lives every day. So join me on this unique journey as we celebrate the Kiwi spirit and learn what it takes to make a difference. This Is Kiwi, where ordinary people do extraordinary things. My guest today is a world-class athlete, Sarah Hirani has spent nearly a decade as the captain of the Black Fern Sevens team. She's a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for services to rugby. She's a gold and silver Olympic medalist and has a couple of Rugby World Cup wins under her belt as well. Now, that is all obviously incredibly impressive. But what I love about the corridor I had with Sarah is learning more about her off the pitch. As a world champion captain, is an impressive leader. But as you'll hear, she never expressly set out to be a leader... And maybe that's why her leadership style is so interesting. Sarah also didn't set out to become a spokesperson for normalizing conversations around money. She grew up in a home where that was just the norm. And over the years, she's come to realize that opening up about money means opening up opportunities for a better and more stable future. I found Sarah's humility really striking. When she talks about how she works with her team and where she sees herself in that matrix – or her mindset around understanding money, it's easy to forget you're listening to one of the world's best athletes. But make no mistake, Sarah Hirani is determined. She's highly competitive and 100% driven by her passion for rugby. The fact she's been able to turn that passion into a career is truly inspirational, and there's a lot in this corridor we can all learn from. Here's Sarah Hirani on This Is Kiwi. Kia ora, Sarah. It's so lovely to have you in the studio. I'm so excited to meet with you. How
0: are you? Kia ora. Thank you so much for having me in. uh Yeah, I can't wait for this cordial
1: uh, Yeah, well, it's going to be an interesting one because we are going to be talking like a lot about leadership. We are very well placed to speak to. And we're also going to be talking a little bit about money, which I know might seem strange, but... Actually, when you think about it, you don't need money to be a leader, and you don't need to be a leader to make money. But there is kind of a relationship in there that can be really beneficial for people in terms of empowerment and so on. So, um, so I'm just setting the scene. But let's start with little Sarah. Tell me a little bit about about growing up. You grew up outside of Fielding, is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I grew up on a farm with my parents and my brother and sister, and it was a pretty cool childhood. I yeah we were obviously grew up on a farm so I had to work quite hard as kids and yeah learnt the value of money quite early on.
1: Right, I mean working pretty hard as a kid doesn't necessarily <laughs> sound like
0: the coolest of childhoods, but what does it mean to work on a farm as a kid? Oh, I think at the time it was um, not that fun. We didn't tend to know what weekends were. We had yeah. jobs in the morning uh, before the school bus would come, and obviously in the afternoon, uh, my parents worked. Pretty hard and uh, long hours, so we learned how to cook dinners, uh, do all the chores and things like that. But I think when I look back, it was the freedom that we had as, as kids. We were allowed to ride motorbikes, uh, ride the horses, and kind of had free reign of the farm. So, uh, yeah, I was, loved it. Went down to the neighbours, hung out with the kids down our, our road. And, yeah, it was, a I think, a pretty cool lifestyle now that I live in town and see what yeah. kids probably don't have. It's classic
1: just not uh, realising how good you had it (laughs) when you had it, (laughs) right? How has talking about money quite openly with your whanau when you were young, how do you think that's influenced your financial journey?
0: Talking about money with my family has given me opportunity to make my own uh, money decisions. It's probably given me better decisions of what opportunities are out there and things that I can put my money into. And when you're a
1: kid and that's just the way things are in your family – you don't really have an understanding necessarily that like other people don't operate that way. Mm -hmm. So when you kind of, I guess, moved out into the world a bit more on your own, did you feel comfortable having money conversations with people? Did you kind of like clock that it's much more taboo, I guess, um, in other families?
0: Yeah, it wasn't probably until we start talking with friends or when I left um, high school and went into university and you'd kind of mention stuff about money and people didn't really want to talk about it and say we like you'd get a job and say what you'd be making and friends probably wouldn't mention what they were making. And I didn't really understand that at the time. I was like, in our household, we just always mm-hmm. talked about it. That was just what we did. And then you kind of then get an understanding of their families wouldn't talk to them about it. So why should they talk about it? Mm-hmm. and And I get that it's a Um, personal preference, whether you do or not, but I was lucky about that. My sister then, when she left high school, became an accountant, so... That's the front of her mind. Um and she was always on mine and my brother's case around what we were spending our money on. <laughs> I also have an accountant sister. Is she the oldest by any chance? Yep. Yeah, 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 same.
1: <laughs> so um I can relate entirely. It's actually quite handy having it is very handy now. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean we got onto the money conversation a lot quicker than I than I was anticipating. But um, you know, I think the really interesting thing to consider here is yes people think, you know, there are a lot of people who think it's taboo or maybe feel uncomfortable about talking about money and you said it's a personal preference thing and of course Mm. we respect that, but also there is this empowerment that comes from being able to have these conversations and it doesn't mean talking about how much you earn or how much is in your bank account, but more kind of your relationship with Mm. money. So what would you consider your relationship with money to be?
0: I think it's a lot better now. I think because of the way that I was brought up, we didn't ask for anything extra. Definitely never got anything brand new, um, and then so when I started making money myself because I'd earned it, I'd worked hard for it. I decided that I wanted nice, new, shiny things, and I'd buy the latest iPhone or um, or pretty much anything that I could. And and then I had to realize that that doesn't consistently keep happening. I'm not <laughs> going to make all this money and uh, or be able to have money in my bank account if I'm just going to continually spending it on stuff and. Yeah, my sister was probably a big help with that. We ended up buying our first home quite early on because of the stuff, the extra um, jobs that we were doing. and that then gave me the value of actually I can start planning for my future, um, I can have things but still be able to be really comfortable around certain situations. So yeah, it's definitely I've now have a relationship a way better relationship with yeah. it. But I think early on it was, yeah, probably more so what can I buy because I've now got money. So even having had that kind of exposure to
1: those conversations um, at home when you were young and having the sister who's an accountant and kind of on your case and all that, it doesn't stop that kind of I've got my first job, I've got my first (laughs) pay packet, I want to buy an iPhone kind of thing, you know. It's like that's an extremely natural response I think and we can all relate to that. You've also been a leader for like your entire adult life right like yeah that's scary to think about (laughs) uh, but that's the truth and I'm so curious to know if that was like a natural bent you had um, when you were younger or if it's something you kind of like that was happened upon you and you learned how to be a leader
0: I don't think I ever thought about it as a kid being a leader Um, especially when I was at school like I would Sometimes get leadership awards, but I think I went to small schools, so there was probably three kids in my age group at times. So, um, but it wasn't. Do you think
1: that might have put you in a bit of a leadership mindset though?
0: Like, even if you're like the
1: one of three and you got the leadership (laughs) award, does it make do you think there's something in that
0: that kind of goes, you know what, maybe I maybe there's something to that? It might be because of the schools that I went to, we were in classes with a lot of different age groups. My first school. I was five in the same classroom as all the 13-year-olds right. before they went to high school and then moved on to a bigger school that had three classrooms, but you were still around and having to help out younger younger kids. But I didn't really think about it too much until I probably got named as leadership roles in sports teams. And, right. But it was something that I just wanted to be the best rugby player that I could be or best hockey player at the time that I could be. So wasn't too much about wanting to lead. I was like, if I can just try and do what I could, then hopefully that would help the team, in my eyes, win. And I suppose, yeah, other people seen that kind of leadership traits. And then when I became the captain of the sevens team, it was actually, now I need to focus on being a leader because it's now my job. Um, And I wanted to put everything that I could into it, but wanted to do it right as well. When thinking about your style of leadership, what
1: is one thing that's really important to you in terms of leadership?
0: Probably the one thing that I've learnt about leadership is being able to listen and, like I know it comes with the communication style, but understanding who you're listening to um, and being able to adapt your leadership style based on who's probably who you are leading. It's really interesting you say that because I
1: was just, you know, like I guess the traditional, you know, my traditional understanding of leadership and a really top line is to think the person who makes the decisions and kind of tells people what to do. You know, the idea of a leader and a follower. But actually, you know, the way you're framing it and it is, you know, now that I hear it, it's obviously much more, um, you know, this is what it is. It's that kind of having that understanding of people and that respect of others as well. And really interestingly, you'd point out different, you know, people have different communication styles, mm. which
0: means you have to be really adaptable
1: too, right?
0: yeah communication styles listening styles i think that's a big part of it and but it's been great i've not i've got a lot of stuff wrong and but i think in our team we're lucky that people will tell you if you get it wrong they won't <laughs> hide from you or like they want to help yeah. so you kind of go back and forth i'll get something wrong someone else might get something wrong but it's the being able to communicate effectively to get probably the best outcome that helps a lot. Mm -hmm. And when I go, I'll keep referring back to the people that I've been able to lead alongside, um, like there's been so many people that have helped me that are different to the way that I lead and like I'll listen to how they speak to others or different personalities that I probably find hard to communicate with and I'm like, oh, okay, that's how um, you're going to get the best out of that player or, or vice versa and how we talk to a management team. Um, it's been, yeah, really, really interesting but a lot of fun and I'm loving having to – we've got a new leader in our team now and being able to bounce ideas off with her now that she's younger, probably can communicate better with a lot of our younger girls and, yeah, you're just – it's like a continuous, um, like, journey of learning and growing and it's it's fun and very hard at times too.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to say it's got to be a lot of pressure, I think, you know, Particularly when you're a captain of a team, you know, there's there's pressure on you to kind of, I guess, you know, on the very basics to get results. Mm. But also, like you say, you're kind of managing um, all these different personalities and people. Does it feel a lot like sometimes you're just like, I would rather just be not captain. I just roll into training, do what I'm told, roll out again and not lose sleep
0: yeah, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have some of those thoughts um, definitely throughout my career. I probably have enjoyed stepping away from the sevens environment sometimes and playing fifteens or mm. going into other environments where I am just a player. and not that I probably step back from voicing some of my opinions in those teams, but actually being able to just focus on myself and play rugby for why I've probably first started. But, yeah, um, I think that's why I probably try and have really good balance and I have a really good support network outside of the environment that I can probably offload or deload some of the stuff Mm. that I've taken from the team and just want to get off my chest without having it doing it with some of the other players. And I think it is a little bit lonely at times, especially when times are hard and we've had a couple of seasons where things haven't gone our way Mm. and it's been a bit been a bit tough in that sense but yeah for the most part it's it's pretty rewarding and yeah when things are going well then it's yeah it's pretty amazing
1: in the context of leadership and I think there's a certain resilience you have to have in your role um as a captain but also uh I guess just resilience in in life in general can you share a piece of advice or um maybe a personal mantra
0: that's helped guide you through challenging moments? Uh, Lean on the support network you have. Probably one, finding good support people around you is important. And yeah, there's been a couple of times in my career where I've really had to lean on the people that I've had around me and probably tell them what you're looking for as well. I think that's been an important part, whether you want their feedback or whether you want them just to listen. It is, is such good advice, ones. right? <laughs> very, very different like places and probably if you don't share that, then you might be disappointed with the conversation mm. you have. Mm. Um, but yeah, le- lean on those that support network. That's been the biggest part of being a part of a team situation. I needed people outside of our team to be able to rely on, especially when things are quite hard and, like our team stuff hasn't always been easy and there's definitely days where you go home and you're like, I just want to tear your hair out. But I think that's, yeah, then when the days are amazing, it's absolutely amazing. Mm.
1: Let's talk a little bit about, we've talked money, we've talked a little bit about leadership and we've talked about your team and how does it, how do those two worlds kind of collide, I guess, in your career. Do you talk money with the other with your teammates?
0: Yeah, I do with quite a lot of them. Um, a couple of my best friends are in the team so we bounce ideas back and forth quite a bit around sometimes what we're spending our money on or what we're trying to put our savings into or investments or um, the houses we might be trying to look at buying. But when I say houses, I say house. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, then now it's been pretty cool journey with the younger girls and them having different contract negotiations. they ask like quite a few of us what I'm on and and, and ah, I come okay. openly talk about it because for me it's not about hiding what I'm on um, and not just in the sevens side I'm trying to encourage them that you can actually make start uh, make money outside of the sevens environment which is like absolutely amazing there's so many cool opportunities out there for girls. And yeah, that's probably what the messages a couple of us are trying to share. We like you can do other stuff, you can be a sevens player, you can make good decisions and then probably for me trying to share my mistakes that I've made with, with my money and sometimes trying to push them in a different direction. It's sharing your wisdom, so that's <laughs> what it is. It's sharing your wisdom. <laughs>
1: um I think that's you know, that's a, a really interesting part of this leadership conversation because it's probably not something a lot of people would think about in terms of sport. It's like, you know, as a captain talking to their teammates about money and being really, like, transparent about what you're getting paid and so on. But actually pay, obviously, in sport, especially when it comes to women's sport, mm. is a really big deal. Your first contract you signed as a professional sportswoman was, what, $30,000 yep. to you, a lot of money at the time. <laughs> yep. But, but now it's but but what were your male counterparts getting paid? That's what
0: I'm curious. Yeah, to know. a lot more than thirty thousand. That's yeah. for sure.
1: Yeah. How long did it take for you to realize that? Okay, this is it's a privilege to be doing what I'm doing, and it's lovely that I'm getting paid. But how come he's getting a lot more than I am for the same job?
0: I think that's always going to be a struggle for me. Like I I know how grateful I am to be doing something that I love to be getting now paid pretty good money for it so it is a struggle when you kind of have to compare things like that and Mm -hmm. I I do know genuinely at the time that what the boys were getting is absolutely amazing for them and I didn't want to compare that because they had won I think 10 World Series titles at that time we had just started becoming a professional environment so um but we're lucky now we're on equal playing fields we get um, equal insurances, saving schemes, like everything like that, is the same for this both sevens program. So, I'm just glad that I was a part of the journey, starting from scratch to where it is now. And I just really hope that or encourage these younger girls to keep pushing the boundaries and things like that. And yeah, I hope that that both teams go up together.
1: What motivates you to keep pushing the boundaries and? you know, break the glass ceiling because you've got a lot on as it is. <laughs> you sort of told me what your, like, your, your schedule is for today and that seems a lot and, you know, involves flying around the place and going to different events and then coming in here and talking to us. Um, there's a lot on and that's not even training in games and <laughs> tournaments. What makes you keep pushing?
0: I probably half of it see the players or people who have, set us up for what we have now and like I'm um, around a lot of those um, the Wahini that set us at the foundations of when they didn't get anything they worked extremely hard for it they were happy with getting potentially a playing jersey um, but so I see that and I'm like I'm motivated to keep pushing what they set us up for but I also see my niece my nephew yeah. who are five and three and to be honest, my niece doesn't like rugby. <laughs> she knows that we play. She loves wearing her black Blackfins um, training shorts. But, like, I see her and I'm like, if she can see us and see her other aunties playing something um, and just pushing the boundaries of, like, now for her, she sees, or my nephew knows probably more women rugby players than he does male rugby players. It's, it's just the norm for them. Yeah,
1: I'd love to hear it. <laughs>
0: like, I see that and I'm like, I want to keep pushing the boundaries uh, we've got players in our team who have kids and there's their kids mindset is exactly the same they just we're just rugby players to mm. them we're not women rugby players mm. so yeah I can, can want to continue doing that and hopefully one day I'll have kids that that want the same thing and so much of it is that just kind of that role modeling right like when you talked
1: about being at school with kids of different ages, um, you were shown, you were being shown leadership in the classroom every single day by some of those twelve and thirteen year olds, mm. right? Some of it probably wasn't always great, but you know, <laughs> I have an almost twelve year old, so I can kind of like it freaks me out to think of him in a, any sort of a leadership role. But it, I don't know, I'm I I'm always wondering when it comes to leadership if it is something that can be learnt. What do you think?
0: I think people definitely have leadership tendencies. Some people probably won't show theirs until they're in an environment that they feel most comfortable in. But you can definitely learn a lot about leadership and you can do it by reading, listening to podcasts, but I think the experiences that you get and the people you're around will help grow you as a leader more than anything.
1: Mm. And tell me a little bit about your Talmaldi journey because... I've read some interviews where you've talked a little bit about your Teo journey and that um, perhaps there was some imposter syndrome or some, you know, just some nervousness around um, exploring that side of your culture and and what it means. So tell me a little bit about
0: that. I 100% think that's still there. That's probably something I'll have for, I don't know how long, but I'm, I'm okay with that at the moment. And I think I'm lucky that I'm around such staunch wahine who um, who push us in a in a team sense, and they want us to be able to be strong. And when we do a haka, a waiata, and so I'm lucky that I get to learn Maori in my team environment. I'm learning Maori at work, which is absolutely amazing. And like I, people ask what type of degree I have. I have a Maori studies degree. And then they ask if I can speak the language and I say, no, I actually can't. I did papers in te reo, but I can't speak um, te reo Māori. But I know that it's okay at the moment when the time is right, it will happen. Um, My niece now is um, learning te reo Māori and she's teaching me a lot around um, where we come from, who we are. And yeah, that's been a pretty cool journey to be able to learn alongside her as well. You can't be what you can't see. Is that something that you've said? Yeah, but I've definitely heard it,
1: so I'm not (laughs) not claiming it. (laughs) Okay, but it can be one of your mantras, (laughs) sure. What
0: what does that mean? For me, it means having exposure, showing the world, like I'm a part of a team that didn't have a lot of exposure. Um, I'm going to say five, six years ago, Mm -hmm. we were posting on our Instagram pages, on our Facebook pages, how to watch us play. And it was download a VPN. Yeah, right. Which is probably illegal, but um, <laughs> sign up to some link to be able to watch it at 2.35 in the morning. And I remember getting a message from my grandma just being so upset that she couldn't watch me. Watch oh, me you play. you can't
1: explain how to do a VPN no. to grandma.
0: <laughs> like she's finally been, got Facebook or whatever, but... Back then it was, he was just like, oh, but I just want to watch it on Sky, why can I not watch it? And now that all our games are broadcast live, everyone's got an opportunity to watch them on YouTube, everything, it's so amazing. And you just, you can see a difference, the, the amount of people in the street that know the 7s, the 15s teams. Obviously the World Cup last year here, playing in home soil was has changed women's rugby I think forever now and I just want every player whether they play rugby or not or any sports um, player in New Zealand to be able to be well known by the public I think that's really important for people's growth for the sports growth and yeah I think even next year when we play on the big stage it's going to be pretty amazing.
1: How's that all shaping
0: up, by the way? Yeah, it's going pretty good. good. Yeah. Glad to hear it. <laughs> it's a from training yesterday, but...
1: <laughs> it's the job you chose. <laughs> True.
0: <laughs> you were in Japan
1: last year and you played with the Pearls. What was your role in, like, the team there, like, going from leading back home? What was your role when you went to Japan?
0: I just went there as a player. I went there to play some footy, experience a different culture and eat some amazing Japanese food. So I was so happy to go and just be myself. That wasn't a captain, that wasn't a leader. Um, And, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. I got to hang out with some amazing, amazing rugby players who didn't speak any English, Mm. uh, who... Couldn't understand English and we had to figure out a way of becoming friends, understanding each other's um, training styles and then having to play alongside these girls. And it was difficult, but the best experience I think I've probably ever had and has probably changed some of the communication style that I'll have when I play with this um, New Zealand girls back when I'm now back in New Zealand. Oh, that's interesting. And what ways do you think? Like what?
1: What did you learn from their communication style?
0: Probably over communicating or being really purposeful in what you say. Like I couldn't say, like when one of the moves cut me, cut me. Like they're looking at me like <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say speaking a different language, but I was yes, to them. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and I had to learn what they knew too. So would like go out for coffee what do you know in English what don't you know what are the Japanese words for these certain moves that I needed to know in our plays and so like I'd say some of the Japanese words and how respectful it was to be able to learn some of the Japanese words for them and you'd be at training and you'd learn some of the words you'd say it and they'd look at you like oh my gosh you've learned some of our language and for me that was really important and quite powerful and I turned up a bit late in the season because of the World Series stuff and they um yeah, having that respect for them I think was really important for me and I yeah, made some pretty cool friends because of it.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Japan's just an incredible, incredible country and they've um they are so respectful, mm. hey, and so humble. Um, yeah. It, it must have been quite a different playing environment. I'm not saying <laughs> not saying that we're not respectful and <laughs> humble here, but just yeah. Those cultural differences and it it must be just like really full on trying to do that when you're not speaking the same language.
0: They're on a different level. I think their respect is, yeah, it's very hierarchy based, um, which was interesting, but quite fun to like almost slip into the way that they were, just wanted to immerse ourselves fully. But I think the way that we gave them respect, then they would, Take us out for dinner and take us to their favourite spots, order us food or book us a table. I think that was for me a part of, yeah, trying to, I suppose, trying to be a Japanese person without having to be a Japanese person. When you're in that
1: quite hierarchical environment, did you see? I mean, the leadership must have been quite different then. What style of leadership do they have?
0: Yeah, it was too. And I was obviously being a part of a team that was um, owned as well. Like obviously I've only been a part of uh, the provincial or everything's run through New Zealand Rugby, which is amazing too. But over there it's based on like a person owns the club and that's the person and... Everyone's just extremely respectful to them, which I quite enjoyed because, he, like, I'm like someone is uh, owns a women's sevens team. To me, that's what I seen. Yeah, right. I was like, wow, like I want to own a sevens team. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one day, <laughs> hopefully. i oh, we've got a club team, but we're definitely not professional. But that's how I seen it, and I and I just was so like I'd try and ask him so many questions, like why women's sevens. And like his daughters never played, uh, the GM was the same. Why would you put so much time into this? And they just said because they love rugby. And they wanted the woman's side of um, rugby to grow. They wanted to try and make it as equal to men. And just hearing that, I was like I knew that I'd pick the right team because of that. That's amazing.
1: That's so mm. cool. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Um, becoming a professional athlete, which you did – fairly young. You also, I mean, I just want to point out, you've talked about buying a house. You did that at 19.
0: Yeah. Became yep. a
1: professional athlete at? I
0: think 20 maybe. Okay.
1: Yeah. That's quite that's quite a healthy CV there. Um, <laughs> but it's a significant milestone. What has being a professional athlete uh, meant for you and your family financially?
0: Um, for Like for me and my husband, it's been pretty amazing. We've been able to buy a house in uh, Tauranga area which I know is extremely difficult to do and it's also just given me so many more opportunities off the field mm-hmm. to be able to meet some amazing people and like I've been in rooms where like I pinched myself in that, that sent me to the Rugby World Cup um, in Paris not long ago and and it's been able to show me that like um, that, rugby can take you around the world, but it can also open up doors for my future. Mm. It's given me the most amazing lessons about money, um, maybe where to steer towards and not other places. And yeah, I'm still constantly learning that, but I've got really great people around me to help with those things as well. Um, I'm going to ask you kind of like a fun money question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is the most indulgent thing you've purchased?
0: Uh, thinking about that, but I, probably a car. A nice e- car. Yeah, really yeah. nice car. I didn't even have it for that long, but I think the fact that I had the money to just go out and buy it, that was... That's trippy, right? Yeah. <laughs> that I new l- car smell. <laughs> you get your three years of servicing, you don't have to worry about it. And I remember being so proud of it at the time. Now I probably advise some of the young girls not to do that. It's, it's wisdom. It's yeah, the wisdom. yeah. But I'm glad that I did. Yeah. To be able to learn that.
1: Like, do you have something you won't skimp on? Because for me, it's bed sheets. Like, I'm happy. Oh, I'm gosh. literally wearing my 16-year-old niece's hand-me-down shoes. I'm quite
0: happy to buy all my clothes secondhand, but bed
1: sheets. I want nice bed linen.
0: It's probably a good thing I don't have to pay for my clothes. <laughs> um what do I not skimp on I'm probably food yeah yeah you're but, fooding yeah yeah uh I'm lucky I can kind of say oh I need food to be able to perform oh so you can do a bit of a tax right off the end. I'm like <laughs> I just love food
1: yeah. <laughs> anything well, food is great good to know and what about um what about the, the sort of the most sensible financial decision you've made
0: Probably buying a house, yeah, yeah, and co-owning it with my sister when I was nineteen. Yeah, yeah. So talk me through co-own. It was (laughs) the top line. (laughs) Like my parents always told us that that was what we had to do. We had to try and buy a house, um, and they gave us the opportunity. We I worked in summer holidays, so I shore sheep during something which made me quite good money. My sister would wool handle. We. Put a deposit on a house in Palmerston North, and I just had to figure out a way of um, paying off the mortgage when I was a full time student. And yeah, that was—I'm so grateful for that. I don't know how we did it at times, but now I look back on it, I'm like, I was 19 and had a house. That is so like it's that crazy, is so
1: wild. <laughs> that is so wild. It's pretty cool.
0: It's yeah, and then that set me up to. Um, sell that buy a place with my husband now in Tauranga and Mm -hmm. yeah it's did you live in the house or was it you did yeah so I was lucky we lived in it we had I think we counted up over the years that I was living there like 24 different flatmates (laughs) um it would be like the halfway house for people at uni or people coming to stay and things like that but yeah it was a pretty cool experience now and so yeah that's yeah it's nuts
1: yeah, well done. That is a very difficult thing to do these days, but certainly you know, also don't have to be looking in Auckland central suburbs to buy your first home, you know. Yeah. I'm like, Look it around. was like
0: 200,000, which is crazy to I've, think of yeah, now. Yeah, wouldn't get you a lot today. <laughs>
1: um, we discussed a little bit the idea about money isn't scary if you understand it. So do you have anything you'd say to someone who's just like, oh, it's too, I don't get it, it's too much, I can't?
0: i can't (laughs) i don't think money has to be scary if you talk about it often enough i think the things we find the most scariest is when we just refuse to blank talk about it but have those people you're comfortable with vibe off each other share experiences and i think share mistakes and it becomes less and less scary we've talked about challenging
1: times um I know you've talked about a really buoyant, happy team environment, but you know, there's no escaping the fact that there are challenging times as well. What drives you to keep going when those challenging times are really, really hard?
0: Yeah, there's going to be times where um, it's pretty challenging, times are tough, but for me, I just love playing rugby. That's why I started playing and why I wanted to do what I do. And I know that. I can wake up and, and and think about that and it gives me the drive to want to continue to train hard, to be a good leader, to want our team to be successful because I know I'm doing something that I love every single day.
1: And it's a privilege to be able to turn your
0: passion into a career, right? Like that's a really cool thing but you're shown sure it can be done. It's, yeah, I'm very, very lucky but I love what I do and it's something that I've always wanted to and I yeah, probably told my parents I would when they told me probably wasn't going to be possible.
1: You're also quite good at it, by the way. (laughs) I just put that out there. That helps. (laughs) Too competitive, that's why. (laughs) We'll just finish on this. If you can recommend one thing that Kiwi could do this week to start either doing or thinking about in order to achieve their goals, what would that one thing be?
0: My one advice that I would give is go and buy a book. Whatever area you want that book to be in, if it's your passion, if it's something you want to do, um, yeah, go and buy a book and when you're finished with it, give it to someone else to read.
1: Very good and very easily applicable advice. Um, thank you so much for sharing that and I totally agree with you and don't do it enough and will, but it's creating habits too. Yeah. Um, Hey, thank you so much for... For joining with us today, and I feel like I've learned a lot from you. I have. You've led in this room, which has been really nice. Um, this is Leadership. This is Sarah Hirani. This is Kiwi.
0: The Spin Off Podcast Network.